I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Racial approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Thanks for tuning in to Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends. One of the most informative and entertaining talk radio shows today. From social issues and trending topics to sex and relationships. No subject is ever taboo. So join us now for Real People, Real Topics, Real Talk. Let's face it. Thanks for tuning in to Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends. It's Wednesday, July the 27th, 2016. July is almost over. Um, we have a big show for you tonight. We have a conversation that's been going on on Facebook all for the past three days. I have posted um, a blog a blog that one of our guests, one of our friends to the show had posted about a couple of weeks ago from his blog, and everybody just went wild. So we have a couple of people who are coming by the studio to talk about um, this this topic. I'm going to save the save the the top the name of the topic for a little bit later on because we still have some people who are making their way to the studio. We also have some special guests from Toastmasters um, who are going to come on to talk about the benefits in being in Toastmasters. But we're going to kick the show off as we always do with my track of the week. It's from my girl Beyonce, and it's entitled "Sorry."
back you with the cool hair. Hi, this is Terry Crews, actor, former football player, game show host, father of five, and an all-around big dude. I'm also an expert on drama. I know all kinds of drama. There's a good kind that comes with having a house full of kids. There's a bad kind like season-ending injuries. There's a necessary kind like having an agent in Hollywood. And there's silly drama like the drama around my percolating pectorals. And then there's the drama you can skip. Skip the drama that comes with not having your high school diploma or equivalency. Find free adult education classes near you and finish your high school diploma. Visit finishyourdiploma.org. Or text the diploma to 97779. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop to opt out. That's the diploma to 97779. And leave the drama to actors like me. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ed Council. You're listening, let's face it, to one of the hottest talk radio shows on the web. Are you looking for more exposure for your brand, product, event, or special story? Let's Face It Radio is the place for you. We're also seeking guest experts specializing in sex and relationships, health and wellness, politics, law, spirituality, and religion, just to name a few. Looking for low-cost marketing opportunities? We'll look no further. We offer multiple advertising campaigns via website ads or audio commercial opportunities played live during the show. Visit www.letsfaceitradio.com and complete the appropriate contact form for more information. You're listening. Let's Face It. You're now listening to Let's Face It. Back to the show. Welcome back to Let's Face It. We're in the studios with two gentlemen from Toastmasters. A lot of you know that, you know, I've been in the hair and makeup industry for about 21 years, and I'm a senior now at Old Dominion University in communications, soon to be leaving the business, going into broadcast journalism. And one of the tools that I've used to develop my skills is attending Toastmasters. Um, and we have two guys here that that's going to talk about the, the benefits of Toastmasters and how you should join um, if you want to develop your leadership skills and your speaking abilities. So we have joining us Mr. Charles Gates and Mr. Perry Neal. Welcome to the show, guys. How you doing, sure. Will? Doing very well. So let's jump right in. You guys are from District 66, right? Right. Okay. So, Charles, let me, first, tell me a little bit about yourself, what you do, and what has Toastmasters done for you? Uh, what I do is, besides my 9 to 5, I'm a community activist. Okay. I've been a community activist from coaching to to politics and everything in between. Okay. What drove me to Toastmasters was the fact that I am always in front of people, mm -hmm. city council and things of this nature, and it was only going to make me better by being around like-minded people and enhancing on my articulation. Okay. Okay. And Mr. Perry Neal, yourself? I'm a software developer by trade. You know how socially <laughs> adept we are. Yes. I had been given some technical talks in front of small user groups, and I'd received a little feedback that Maybe I had a little facility for it. So I said, let me see how good I am or am not. Okay. What's the group that's most known for being public speakers? Toastmasters. Toastmasters, right. So I got into it to see what I could get out of it. Okay. So for people who don't know, what what exactly is Toastmasters? Well, we're a professional development organization, and we help empower individuals to become more effective communicators and leaders. Okay. So is it just strictly about learning how to speak in front of people? Do you learn anything else in Toastmasters? Oh, yeah. Go ahead, Charles. Toastmasters, now we're on a college campus, 
Okay, right. One of the main fears of students is the interviewing process. Yes. There's a section of our program called Table Topics okay. in Toastmasters where you're giving an impromptu presentation yeah. in one to two minutes yeah. on a subject you have no idea. <laughs> exactly. Yes, and I've been a victim of that before. Yeah, and it yeah. prepares you for those interviews. It does. It does. It really does. Okay, so who joins, especially who joins Toastmaster? Who goes looking for a membership into that club? Any and everyone. Any and everyone. And can I give you a story? Yes, you can. Very quickly. There was a young lady that came to my club. She's a doctor. She's okay. a doctor for over 25 years. She came to my club because she was scared to give seminars and lectures. Uh-huh. She was just nervous. She couldn't do it, even though she had the expertise to do so. Mm-hmm. Knowledge-wise, she just could not articulate her thoughts. Okay. So she came to us. Fast forward six years later, she is now giving humorous presentations, speeches, seminars, workshops, and lectures as mm-hmm. a professional doctor. So mm-hmm. Toastmasters made a world of difference. So it helped develop those skills and, and build the confidence. Right. All right. So, of course, I know how, how it goes, but for the, for the benefit of our listeners, how do the meetings go? Because that really intrigued me when I joined. I was like, well, how is it going to work? And then when I sat through it, I, I was intrigued with the way the meetings are run. So can you explain that to the listeners? Sure. When you first walk into a meeting, first of all, you are greeted by every member in that club with a warm and fuzzy feeling. We want to make you feel welcome. You're presented with, with, a, toast, with a toastmaster who begins the meeting. They gavel in using Robert's Rules of Order. They gavel in one time, unlike to see any Republican and Democrat. <laughs> but they do it the proper way. Right. And then after that, they introduce the members, the role members of the day. You have an odd counter usually. You have a grammarian. The odd counter's role is to count every odd, um, and you knows that everyone speaks throughout the meeting. The grammarian looks for grammatical errors, good or bad. The general evaluator evaluates the entire meeting. Every speech is evaluated. You usually have three to four speakers per meeting. Those speakers are immediately evaluated. And then, as we said earlier, you have a table topic session. Wow. And the meetings normally run about how long? It averages anywhere between an hour to two hours, depending on the location. Okay, and so both of you have been. What, what are your What are your roles in the in the organization? I First, the, Charles, I am the district director for District Sixty Six. Okay, and you've been a part of it for how long? I've been in Toastmasters since two thousand seven. Wow. The district director is the is the top guy in what we call the trio. Oh, okay. So you're the head guy. Yeah, the head guy. Okay, and so you said for now. So you guys have elections and things like that. Right. It's okay. One year, one year tenure. Okay. And Perry, I'm the club growth director for the district. I've been in Toastmasters since August of 2012. Okay. And I'm responsible for marketing Toastmasters throughout the district, finding new club opportunities, finding new members, and helping our clubs maybe that might be struggling get back up to strength. Okay. And where do these clubs meet, and how do you find the clubs? Because can well, if you go to www.toastmasters.org there's a link at the top called find a club it'll take you to a web page where you can put in a zip code your address you can specify how far you're willing to drive you can select day or days of the week that are more convenient for you daytime evening and then it'll give you a list of clubs that are that meet those criteria okay and uh, we were talking earlier you said the club itself is very diverse can you elaborate on that some you name an ethnic group we've got it okay we've got College students, we've got people that work as checkers or baggers in grocery stores. Mm -hmm. We've had Ph.D. scientists, doctors, real estate, financial consultants, you name it, business owners. And that's what I love about it. Okay. And you meet pretty much everywhere because I know I I belong to a church. You said that they had uh, a club right there at the church. I've seen people have it like at their businesses. Mm -hmm. 
So what goes into starting a club? Because I know we don't have one here on the campus at ODU yet. Not oh, yet. Yeah. Right, Not right, yet. right. But right here in Hampton Roads, Virginia, there are over 40 clubs. Over 40 clubs. 40, right in this area here. Yeah, so it's a 15,000 worldwide in 135 countries. Wow. 330,000 members strong. Do you know how it all started, Toastmasters itself? October 1924, Dr. <laughs> Ralph Smedley in a YMCA. That's why some people... The name Toastmasters is a little antiquated, a little old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. You have to remember, we're 90 years old. Right. And at the time, a Toastmaster was somebody who was adept at getting up in front of people and speaking. Okay. Wow. Okay. So what do you want people to know about Toastmasters the most? Toastmasters is for anyone. For anyone. Many people that come to us have a fear of speaking. Mm-hmm. We know it. They know it. However, in order to succeed in this world, you must be able to market yourself. Right. And how can you market yourself if you can't articulate your point? Mm-hmm. So what we what we aim to do is give that person the confidence to get out there and talk their game. Okay. Perry? What I'd like to add is most people think it's because for people that want to get on stage in front of thousands of people. Mm-hmm. And, yes, that's fine. But we're about becoming a better communicator. Mm-hmm. That might be one-on-one, wife, husband, parent, child. Right. It could be in a small group like we're in here today in the studio. Or it could be on stage in front of a thousand people, but it's about becoming a more effective communicator. And not only that, it's about becoming, exercising your leadership skills, growing those leadership skills. Our clubs provide a safe, supportive environment. We want you to come fail with us first. Mm-hmm. Don't make your first time practicing your leadership skills in front of your boss at work. Mm-hmm. Come to us first. Right. right. One of our models is this is the best place to fail. Right. And I like that because I know at our club, um, I was, surprisingly, I was really shy at first when I walked in, but it was so welcoming. And then when you give your first speech, everyone's so supportive. Um, and then you get your book, your two books. You didn't talk about the books that you get because you get the, the, the speaking book, and then you also get the leadership book. Right. So what leadership skills about how to run a meeting? Now, do you, you mentioned Robert's Rules Awards. Do you, do you learn that in Toastmasters? Yeah, all the yeah. mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. okay. Yeah. The leadership track, both manuals have a series of projects. Right. Communication manual, there are the first manual consists of 10 projects, and then after that, every subsequent manual has five different projects in it. The, communi- the, comp- the competent leader manual right. has 10 projects in it, and once you complete that, you complete another series of, of projects, another series of projects to reach what's ultimately the ETM, which is Distinguished Toastmaster. Okay, Perry? What I'd like to add about the leadership, everybody thinks it's at work. But think about a parent that's trying to organize a birthday party for their children. Right. That's leadership. Right. It doesn't have to be at work, per se. Right. Toastmasters is awesome. I mean, I've enjoyed it. Unfortunately, I have to find another. I'm going to have to either move my show to another time or I'm going to have to find another club. I like the club that I go to. I can um, help you with another club. You can help me with it? <laughs> I know you can. you can. But you never told me. So what does it take to start a club? How many people do you need? You have to have 20 people to charter a club. What we ask you to do is to get... 30 to 40 people together okay. in a room. We'll come in. We'll explain what Toastmasters is. We'll hold a little short demonstration meeting to, to give them an idea of what a, toast, a full Toastmasters meeting would be like. And then we'll tell them what goes on from there, answer any questions. Okay, so like a private, like a church, as long as they have 20 members who want to do it, you can come in and help form a club. That's correct. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, so anything else that you want to mention about Toastmasters? Well, we say that 
if you get out of Toastmasters, everything there is to get out of Toastmasters, you'll never get out. I, right. I joined for selfish reasons. I wanted to see what I could get out of it. Uh-huh. But what's kept me in it is seeing how it changes members' lives. Yes. From people that – I had one young lady, I stopped counting at 50 ums during one of her speeches. Mm-hmm. Less than a year later, not a single one. Yeah, yeah. Um, the young lady who I brought, who's now secretary of our club, Shanika Bell, she was so shy. And she always said when I would do my presentations that she wanted to do it, but she was so shy. So I told her to come with me to one of the meetings, and she loved it. And like I said, now she's the secretary of the club, and when I do things, she volunteers to come up and speak. So it's really helped her in developing her confidence. So that's excellent. That's excellent. Yeah. So I want to thank both of you for coming by. Do you have any contact information for your club or how people can contact you if they have any more questions? They can go to www.district66.org. That's the number 66. And there's, they can find contact info there, or they can go to toastmasters.org. Okay. Yeah, especially if they're looking for a club in the area, regardless of where it may be. Toastmasters.org to find the club, put in the zip code, put in the radius that you're looking for, and you're guaranteed to have multiple clubs pop up. Okay. So uh, one more question. So when you join a club, like if you're in a situation with mine, and the club that you join is no longer convenient for you, can you move to another club, or do you have to rejoin all okay. over again? You can transfer your membership to another club. You can join more than one club. Oh. You can stay in your club, and you can go speak at other clubs. Did not know we, that. We have members. We have members in District Sixty Six. Our members of four different clubs. Really? Yeah. In our home club, will we have people that live in Texas? They just love our club and wanted to keep their membership. Yes. Now I know our club is the largest. Is it's that? one. Of, it's one of the largest in the district. Awesome! Awesome! And remember, once you're a member, you can speak anywhere in the world. You can, you're welcome in any Toastmaster club anywhere in the world with your one membership. Let's talk about the growth. You have the competitions as well, right? Correct? Yes, that's correct. We're currently going into our, our fall contest, um, speech contest mm-hmm. season. We tell people it's not really about winning or losing. It's mm-hmm. a competition. Of course, it's about winning or losing. But what's more important is gauging your growth, how, you, how far you've grown, and getting to meet people outside Toastmasters. One of the things that Charles was talking about. I wanted, we had a gentleman in our club that went to Czechoslovakia. Mm-hmm. He looked up a Toastmasters club. He yeah. went, attended, and then he got people to show him around the area. You awesome. have a worldwide family a of 330,000 people. Right. Built that network. And that, and that's one of the benefits that we don't talk about with Toastmasters is the networking opportunity. Right. As a matter of fact, we have our international convention that's going to be right in our backyard in D.C. August 17th through the 20th, where there's anywhere from 3,000 to 10,000 members that are going to converge under one roof for a four-day hoopla. Wow. That's awesome. So I want to thank both of you for coming in and sharing. Do you have any last words or anything like that before we say goodbye? Well, what I'd like to say is give Toastmasters a shot. Even if you don't think you need it, Toastmasters will change your It definitely will. It will definitely improve your confidence. Yes. Well, I want to thank you both for coming in and hope you have a good evening. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Will. All right. You're listening to Let's Face It. We'll be right back. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter.
Do you know one in three adults is at risk for kidney disease? If you have high blood pressure or diabetes, you could be the one. I was looking in the newspaper and saw an article that said if you have symptoms for kidney disease, you should see a doctor. And I really didn't expect anything because I felt healthy. I didn't worry about my borderline high blood pressure. Turns out it was silently inflicting kidney disease. When you know, it's almost too late. Visit the National Kidney Foundation at kidney.org. Now you know. Hi, this is Terry Crews. Actor, former football player, game show host, father of five, and all-around big dude. I'm also an expert on drama. I know all kinds of drama. There's a good kind that comes with having a house full of kids. There's a bad kind like season-ending injuries. There's a necessary kind like having an agent in Hollywood. And there's silly drama like the drama around my percolating pectorals. And then there's the drama you can skip. Skip the drama that comes with not having your high school diploma or equivalency. Find free adult education classes near you and finish your high school diploma. Visit finishyourdiploma.org. Or text the diploma to 97779. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop to opt out. That's the diploma to 97779. And leave the drama to actors like me. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ed Council. Welcome back to Let's Face It. Now we're back in the studio with our special guest co-host. We have coming back to the show, um, <laughs> my girl from last week, if you remember. Please welcome back to the show, Miss Rhonda Arrington. How are you, Rhonda? I am wonderful. I'm You're- a little steamy from the lack of air conditioning in my car, but <laughs> <laughs> it gives me that glow, that that. Yes, 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 yes. Also joining <laughs> us in the studio, we have Mr. Ronald Young. How are you, sir? I'm great, my man. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good, pretty good. Good. Okay. Let's see here. We have some... Say something for me, Rhonda. Something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Okay. Awesome. Yes. So... We're going to talk about this a little bit later on, but we know that I posted something on Facebook that yes. had everybody, you two. Yes, Lord. You yeah. two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Play, play daughter and play father. That's right. That's Y'all right. were going at it. That's it. Yeah. yeah mama so, didn't raise the right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, so, it's okay. It's okay. So the question that I was raising was, um, can married people have single friends? Absolutely, and you, and you both seem to bump heads. Yeah, because I say absolutely not. I I think it's a uh, mm-mm. <laughs> why? It's a setup. T- t- why? 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 It, why? Why? Okay, I'll say it like this: I'm married, and I can have I can have a male friend if he is nine thousand two hundred and one pound, one pound, and looks like a mud puppy or a swamp duck. Okay, I mean outside of that, because at some point the lines could get blurred. Mm-hmm. It's, it's too much. It's too much. I, I can have it. a friend look like Taraji P. Henson. Matter of fact, Taraji, if you're listening to the show, <laughs> I need you to be my friend. But <laughs> See, no. But... <laughs> I seen him post his Women Crush Wednesdays, and it was Taraji. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yes, Lord. But it's it's all in your... I heard somebody say boundaries. I said, well, what do you mean boundaries? You mean like city limits? Like you could have one if she lived a little far away? But parameters. If, if you know your parameters, what you can and cannot do, you can have any kind of friend you want to have. I don't think so. I think that it it gets intimate. Friendships are intimate. Mm-hmm. And I think when you... The closer make, you get. The closer you get, you know? 
And I just, I feel like, I think it's it's a recipe for disaster because there you are, you're talking to your homeboy mm. and he's t- talking about how his girl ain't doing this and doing that and, and maybe he called you at the wrong time mm-hmm. where you and your boo ain't vibing mm-hmm. and now you like, uh-uh, you know, she didn't deserve, she don't deserve you mm-hmm. and then now y'all having a conversation uh-huh. that's unnecessary. <laughs> and see, that's what I mean, just like with Taraji. Always, she's just a perfect <laughs> example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she she is. could tell me things that well, Ron, maybe you need to do this. And what if she did this? Would you like this better if she was like this? Maybe you should talk to her this way. Then that gives me some ideas and some concepts that I can use at home because I'm getting them from my friend. I don't, I don't think so. I think women, I'll speak for women then. I think women, we are too emotionally wired to, to, to uh, stick to the boundaries that you, like you said, like the perimeters. Mm. We're, we're, we're too emotionally stuck to it. So... Mm. The more you you pour into our emotional bank, our tank, you know, we're gonna be like, Mm-mm, that sounds really great, but you know why? Is then you're gonna be like Usher, you know. <laughs> well, let me ask you this: Are you speaking from experience? Are you speaking from experience? I am because you know, um, not for me. I don't fall, but it's been of many course of not a, you, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it's been many of a, a lass out there that has <laughs> way, way, way back, you yeah. know, way back, and that has fallen for me mm-hmm. as I tried to be his friend, uh-huh. you know, and um, it was just a disaster. And there, I lost, you know, my good homeboy uh-huh. because I'm just too much for him, you know. But, you know, but I mean, it is. I, I am speaking from experience though, because. On a serious note, there was a friend of mine, you know, like, you know, when you work, you have your work husbands and right. stuff like that. And so he was my friend and he was my homeboy. But then when we weren't at work, we began to speak after work, same, having the same conversations. But there's something about knowing that you're not on break anymore mm. and you can't and you can't escape back to that desk, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, so, and it's like, mm-hmm. um. You know, and then when when you change what you're talking about, when your significant other comes in the room or Mm. the level of your comfort around them, Uh I I think it's a problem. And I think a lot of women will come to especially married guys and they'll ask him, so why do men do this? Or why do men do that? Because really, they want advice. They no, they it. don't. Because <laughs> they're like, they just all the married somebody. men are taken, so I might as well line up and do <laughs> <laughs> No, they don't. They lie. They just want some advice from somebody that's experienced, that they know, and they trust. And like, okay, Ron, well, tell me why men feel this way. Then you tell them, and they're like, Wow. And they're waiting for that one time, Ron, for you to say what your wife is not doing <laughs> so that they can come. You know, she used to bake me biscuits in the morning, and then the next thing you know, uh, Taraji done toast. bought you some biscuits. You said Taraji. <laughs> Taraji done brought some biscuits right to work. That's it. I'm telling you. It's a trap. Run, run. Wow, wow, wow. some good biscuits. <laughs> you sure you ain't put no butter on these? Wow. Like, you like butter? I'll get you some butter. See? I'll get you some butter. Well, well, you know what? We're going to come back to this after our first guest. We have Mr. Mike Vinny, who is the America's leading mental health speaker. Um, and he's going to talk to us tonight about overcoming the stigma of mental health. All right. Hi, Hello. welcome to Let's Face It. How are you, Mike? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? Doing pretty good. Thank you for calling in. Thank you for having me, and hello to your listeners out there. Okay. Um, Mike, I wanted to jump right in. Um, so tell us a little bit about your, your backstory and how you got so involved in speaking on mental illness. Well, first of all, nobody, I think, 
dreams about being a mental health speaker when they're younger. And <laughs> I struggled with mental health and behavioral challenges throughout my childhood. Uh, in summary, I was hospitalized in a psychiatric hospital three times, mm -hmm. expelled from three schools for behavior problems, tried to take my own life at age 10. Wow. And I was just, I mean, I was constantly violent at home and acting out and constantly going to doctors and getting medicated and no one knew what to do with me. And so once I really found a real road to recovery, I realized that there are a lot of people that are privately struggling with the same issue that nobody wants to talk about. And so I made it my mission to really help other people that are like me and have family members and friends like me who are struggling. That, that's awesome, Mike. And, and again, we welcome you to the show. I'm Rhonda Arrington. I'm one of the uh, co-hosts today, tonight. Cool. And it, it's, it's, a, it's brave. It's very courageous um, for you to, to be able to stand up and be the face of this. And, you know, and it is very important for us to discuss mental health and, and there is a huge stigma and it's, it's taken a long time for it to basically erase and people to embrace it. And so yeah. um, there's so many things that, that with mental health and with our country going for a new election with presidential and a lot of different um, events or things that are important to us, how important is mental health what you say, or the link between the relationship of mental health and gun violence? You know, this is a, a very debatable topic that I get thrown at a lot. Mm -hmm. So here, here, here's my thought on it. I don't believe that you can associate mental illness and gun violence. Okay. Here's why. If someone simply wants to harm someone, that's all they need to want to do, to harm someone. Yeah. It doesn't mean you have a mental illness. And perfect example is in the UK, they don't have guns like we do. They have very strict gun laws. Nobody has guns. They have an incredibly high rate of stabbings. Mm -hmm. They want to hurt people. They want to hurt people. And the, the thing that I tell people all the time is that, you know, everyone has mental health issues at least once in, in, in their life. So if that's the case, then nobody should be owning guns. Yeah. But, you know, the reality is I think if somebody just, just wants to do harm, they want to do harm. That's my opinion on it. Now, you brought up a, a good point. This is Ronald Young. You brought up a good point about when you say there's so many different things about mental health and, you know, gun violence and all how they do not really interact. But when you talk about mental health, also there's so many ramifications. There's the extreme depression. There's autism. There's bipolarness. There's so many different areas of mental health. Uh, illness, how do you define, how, or how are how is the average person to define what portion of mental health or what position of mental health people are having? That's a, that's a great question. I think, I love what you just asked about. It, it's a whole spectrum of things. And basically when I'm talking about mental health, I'm talking about one of three things. Your thoughts, feelings, and behavior. If any of those is causing you problems in your life, you, you have a mental health issue of some sort. And again, that could be just as simple as some stress or as extreme as some schizophrenia or something, you know, even more challenging than that. And one of the big issues is that we live in a world where we all want to be part of the group. I'm a big believer in looking at kindergarten and seeing how kids interact in the playground to understand mental health stigma. So the way you and I would relate as kindergartners is we would find what we have in common. All of our 
relationship right. built on finding that, you know, you, you and I have the same brand of sneakers. We have Nikes, someone else has Reeboks, the person with the Reeboks is out of the group. And, and kids, if you watch them interact, the first way they learn to feel like part of a group is by knowing who the weird kid is. Nobody wants to be the weird kid. We bring that with us throughout our lives, even as adults, and nobody wants to be the weird one. So when it comes to admitting and talking about mental health, nobody really deep down inside wants to be that person. That's why it's difficult to talk about. How much would you say mental health, is, the understanding of mental health has grown? Because, you know, autism used to be looked at a certain way. Down syndrome used to be looked at a certain way. But now those are workable assets. A child with autism now is not looked at as a special needs child, so to speak. Yes. Now he can just, he can be in a class with other students and still progress normally as long as the teacher is aware of the fact that he has autism. He or she has autism. When we, I, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. That, that's pretty much it. Go ahead. You know, no, I, I love what you just said there. It's like we've come so far. We really have. We still have a long way to go. But, you know, what we're starting to see is looking at the strength of the person. And um, I have a TEDx talk out called Mental Illness is an Asset, where mm-hmm. I talk about it as a positive thing. You know, why is it necessarily a liability? I look at it as a positive thing. If I'm correct, Albert Einstein was on the autism spectrum. Yes. And he is probably known as the greatest genius of our time. So I'm a big believer of whatever challenge you do have, looking into it and seeing the positive in it, even when you are struggling, because there are many benefits to having a mental health challenge. And, you know, it's, it's great that you um, say that. I think um, my sister, she's a teacher. And what you found in the school system a while ago is that people were grouping mental health with behavioral concerns and um, mm-hmm. making the two synonymous. And so, and sometimes even when you have coverage for medical coverage, they call it behavioral health and not so much mental health. And mm-hmm. so um, surrounding, I think that may also surround the stigma with mental health and the confusion. So what is, what will be some language or some things that we can do to start to continue this new progressive uh, movement, if you will, where we are embracing what mental health means, and that it doesn't mean that you're you're odd or you're you're different. Like you said, it's not um, a liability; it's something that works for you. I, I love your question, and I think it's a great question. And I want to add some terms to that. Sometimes you hear behavioral health, sometimes you hear mental health, sometimes you hear psychological health, mm-hmm. sometimes you hear wellness. And at the end of the day, I think we are still trying to define the right terms. And I always love to compare everything to the civil rights movement because that's where I developed a lot of my ideas around mental health. Mm-hmm. And I look at the issue of race in our country, uh, taking the label, I'll give two labels here, African-American versus black. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of debate on which label is appropriate to use. But the whole race conversation didn't start with terminology. It started with simply getting comfortable having the uncomfortable conversation. That's right. So the thing that I really encourage people to do is, yes, learn about terminology, find and and see what is the best for the time, because it's constantly changing, like race terminology, Mm -hmm. but but keep having the uncomfortable conversation. That's really the key. Hmm. Go ahead, Ron. How would you say that affects the workplace? How do people in the work environment and in, in the, uh, just in the economy in general, 
How do you go out to understand that someone may have a mental or behavioral problem that either works with you or even more so works for you and you have to understand that in dealing with them and now I won't say dealing, dealing seems like it's it's so uh, determined, but in understanding that they have a challenge that has to be understood. I, I think it's something that corporate America is slowly getting better at. And you can see this in the term corporate wellness mm-hmm. that is coming out all over the place. You have employers that are concerned with your personal finances and they're enrolling their employees in, in personal finance courses. So employers are really learning that there is an economic benefit to everyone being taken care of. And again, some companies are still behind the times on this. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important for the leaders who are listening to this to really educate themselves about the importance of mental health, because think about it. Just take stress, low-level mental health issue, right, that we all experience. Right. If everyone had less stress, we're going to be a more productive workplace. That's right. Just on that alone, we're going to make more money. Everyone's going to thrive. So when you start to see the economic benefit behind it, every employer should be investing in mental health programs for themselves and their team. That's a good point. Wow. So where does all the stigma, why the stigma? surrounding mental health? Why do, why do you think that exists? Well, like I said, it's, it's a mark of shame, and there's so many resources out there that try to explain why it exists. One of the terms I like to throw out is something called demonology. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, people used to think if someone, go back to what I said before, thoughts, feelings, and behaviors was exhibiting some weird thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, they figured, well, they must have some kind of demon in them. Well, and they want so to exercise true. them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they want to exercise them. And, and even now, to be very honest with you, in a lot of faith, they think if, if you've got schizophrenia, you've got the devil in you, and, and that's it. You know, mm-hmm. you don't need medication, you don't need counseling. But what we are learning is that, yes, there is always a spiritual component to everything in life, but it still can be an isolated brain condition that you have, a mental mm-hmm. health issue. So... Uh, basically, to answer your question, it's about a mark of shame. The actual dictionary definition of stigma is a mark of shame mm. that people carry around about the subject. You know, and, and it's, it's to, to piggyback on something that you said earlier, like with the civil rights, what we do find often is what is not understood is always misinterpreted, and there's a fear behind it. There's always a fear what people just don't understand or take the time to understand. And, you know, um, I mean, and, and, and like you said, it, it will take the conversation and it will take us started changing our own language. Stop using some of the colloquial terms that we use when it even comes to mental health, you know, and um, it, and I think that will, will definitely help move it forward, too, that we can kind of drop some of the stigma. Absolutely. Absolutely. With that very much and it's almost like i mean when we look back to our childhood days and we you know then we joked about the short bus and the uh, kids yep. that was on the short bus <laughs> yeah. versus everybody else you know how do we how did we really transition from that i mean how did we even go to that obviously the kids that were on the short bus they went to a special classroom once they got right. to high school or elementary school or junior high school and that is all as soon as you any time in life right now, you say the short bus, everybody knows, you know, that's that another stigma piece. Yep. And, and it goes back to what I said before. We all are 
tribal people. We all want to be part of groups, even, uh-huh. even for the introverts that are out there that think they just want to be left alone. That's right. They still want to be part of a group. And, you know, the short bus, if you saw someone on the short bus, in your mind, they weren't part of the regular group. That's and right. that's why it's very important to just really examine how we socialize with each other. Oh. And, and that's it. That's the, that's the key. So, so, Mike, tell us a little bit about Transform Stigma. Well, I had a breakdown in 2011, and unlike a heart condition, when you have a mental health crisis, Mm -hmm. you really can't get help right away unless you act out, Mm -hmm. and then usually the police come and take you away. So I I had this breakdown, and it was just really bad, and I was having a hard time finding help. And so I did the best thing that I could, and I said, you know what, I'm I'm just going to start creating my own program for myself. And I realized that for me, my mental health issues, which include depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, were a real issue for me. But the hardest part is if you and I became friends and you found out about this, I I was going to potentially lose my new friends if I was dating a woman. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd have to just wait till things get comfortable and try to slowly ease into my mental health history and see if she wants to stay with this uh, psycho new boyfriend. So, you know, that's that's the burden that I was carrying with me. So I said to myself, part of my future was going to be to transform the stigma for myself. And I realized that stigma starts with shame. The shame leads to silence. You don't talk about it. And Mm -hmm. silence leads to self-destructive behavior, sabotage, and suicide. Mm. And my solution to those of you listening out there, the key to transforming the shame is to simply be intentional about taking care of yourself. That's right. Take care of yourself in any area of your life. You feel better about yourself. And for some strange reason, that leads to keeping it in the conversation. No more silence. You start talking about it. And when you start talking about it, you can finally look for teachable moments to help others. And that is really the key to transforming Okay. Well, tell me about the steps that are taken in transforming this, this stigma. Mm-hmm. Well, number one, I'm a big believer in looking at it as an issue that starts with you. It's mm-hmm. not something that's out there in the world. You know, stigma is in this whole conversation right now. Each of us has our own different stigmas in our minds. Right. And if we go into the bathroom, look in the mirror and say, you know what, I'm the problem first, you can start really being part of the solution because you're not blaming. But taking care of yourself is simple things like getting regular exercise, taking care of yourself in therapy, going to counseling, and things like that. A lot of people don't do that. Interestingly, I have a lot of family members of people who are struggling that call me, and one of the first things that I advise them to do is to get help for themselves. Because when you start getting help for yourself, you can better understand others. So that's really the first major step. The second step is to start finding ways of talking about it. Even if it's just saying to you, I'm going through a tough time emotionally. I don't need to say any more than that. But most people won't even say that. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's learning to do that. I tried to experiment and I encourage all of you listening to this not to try this. This was my <laughs> experiment. This is a not to do. This is not to do. Um, I spent an entire year experimenting with people. I said, what if I went around and introduced myself to every single person I met? And the first thing I said 
is, hi, my name is Mike. I'm mentally ill. And I, I know some girls that should do that. No, I'm sorry. That's a whole other show. <laughs> my well, 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 you know, you know, it's interesting. The response that I got was pretty amazing. Not a single person ran from me. A lot mm. of people started to ask questions. I wow. actually got invited to more parties, hired for more work, and hit on by more women than I ever have in my wow. life. Wow. And, and those of you listening, that is not a pickup line, by the way. I, just want to <laughs> I was writing that down. You shouldn't have said that. I was writing that down. <laughs> but but the, the, the reason is, everyone, is because I was comfortable with myself. I started with that step one of self-care, got comfortable with myself. I became okay talking about it. And when I'm having a rough day, which I was actually having today, to be very transparent with you, having a really rough day today, I knew at this time I had to be on the radio looking for a teachable moment to help others. That's right. Wow, that's great. That's it. So, Mike, do you have any other information that you'd like to share? How can people get in contact with you to, to follow? Because I know you do um, presentations and speeches a lot as well. Yes, um, absolutely. I speak around the world, and my website is called transformingstigma.com. Again, that's transformingstigma.com. And on that site, you can email me, check out some of my blog posts. I write a lot of different posts that really give people practical tips okay. to help themselves. Got a really big resources page. So if you're struggling with something right now, just go to my resources page. There's plenty of links for things around the country. And I'm on Facebook as Mike Vini and Twitter as Mike Vini. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Mike, for coming on the show. You shared a lot of valuable information, um, and we hope that you have a, a very enjoyable evening. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on the show. No You're problem. Welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Good information. That was. Okay, so, you know, we're back to our topic. You know, I was looking over Nikki, world's greatest publicist, Nikki Curry. She brought on some information that I heard about, but I hadn't looked into about mm-hmm. Keisha Knight Pulliam. Ed Hartwell files for divorce from pregnant Keisha Knight Pulliam. After only being married for seven months, the former NFL pro has filed for divorce from the Cosby Show sweetheart. Yo, yeah, my brother says I'm a catch. Well, if I caught you, I'd throw you back in the ocean. <laughs> well, go ahead, because there's plenty of fish in the sea. The timing is probably a little shocking considering the actress just announced last week that she's pregnant. Not only has Hartwell filed for divorce, but he has also reportedly requested she take a paternity test. Yikes! Keisha seems to have a knack for surprising fans. She announced that after four months of dating, the pair had gotten engaged on New Year's Eve. Less than a month after that announcement, she revealed that they were already married. Okay, okay, so... But no, I was reading up on this, and you know what? Something else happened. So let me read to you. I'm reading from rollingout.com. It says that Ed Hartwell, who you know also was married to, to Lisa, Wu. Lisa Wu from The Real Housewives. Housewives. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Hartwell was engaged to Tanya Carroll mm-hmm. um, before he, after he, he was with Lisa and before he started dating Keisha. That's right. Okay, so something happened between that. Keisha came into the picture, and she put it on him. So they started <laughs> dating, and then, you know, within six months, they were um, married. But did you also know there's another piece before you move on to there? Uh-huh. Remember that she had just announced her engagement maybe nine months prior to the to announcing the engagement to Ed, her announcement to um, decade-long uh, Ticker, uh-huh. um, who's popular from, you know, um, BET, 
they oh had, yeah, yeah 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 they were going to get married and then suddenly the next thing we know they're planning the the wedding and now then like maybe seven months later maybe less than that that's when she began to date Ed wow so it was a lot of um. We can be friends. Yeah, let me get to that. Let me get <laughs> to that. There we go, So, Steve. So Pulliam, who is four months pregnant with a girl, reportedly spilled the news that Hartwell was likely cheating on her with Carol, the single girl. Okay. Now, the two the the married couple. The married couple. So she mm-hmm. was saying that he was probably cheating with the single girl. Hartwell counters the claim and says that Pulliam was envious of the fact that he yes. and Carol had remained friends. Yes. Uh, and his exactly. relationship with her 13-year-old child remained intact. So, mm-hmm. you know, the single person was friends with a married person, and now the marriage is over. She Which, couldn't take it. I think it proves my point. It proves my point because, and see, here's the thing. This is another question mm-hmm. about, I think we talked about this, if exes could be friends. See, right. she's not just a that. friend. She's an she's ex an who's ex. a friend. Hmm. And who's been there, who knows things, okay. who have, mm. they, they have a history, no. that connection. And then he bonded with her child. Mm. He bonded with her child because it says still intact. Intact. That's it. And you know, un- unfortunately, um, you know that we, we're on a show called The Rules. Yes. And one of the rules is about knowing your list. And the thing about knowing your list is knowing what you are willing, what's non-negotiable and what's not. Keisha should have done her homework. I understand that she was with Tigger for a long time and maybe he was taking too long, but you cannot jump on someone who is just freshly out of something else. Wait a minute. Is this a grown man named Tigger? I don't know what his real name is. (laughs) Just a grown man. It is a grown man. He he chose that name. He did. He did. All right. I'll leave that alone. Call me Tigger. Yeah. (laughs) He looks a little bit like the Winnie the Pooh character. Oh, ball. Oh, you in charge. Don't leave that alone (laughs) until Donald Trump. I I think that's why he named himself Tigger. Oh, really? I think so. At least that's what I'm going to, my story, Mm. I'm going to stick to it. Okay. Okay. So, but, but, but my, my point is that, um, I don't think Keisha has been from my personal observation. I don't think she took the time to have time with herself because she came out of a very long public relationship. True. You know, and um, the engage, she was engaged to be married. And that's a serious thing. Once you're being engaged to be married mm-hmm. to someone and then in that, and then you get into a relationship with someone who's already themselves came out of a public relationship that was on, Baggage. you know, the real housewives. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was just, to me, it was a recipe for disaster. Because of all that baggage. All of that baggage. Both of them bringing a lot of baggage into the relationship. And, you know, what I always say about baggage, sometimes you know all the compartments in your baggage. Yeah. You know all the... But every now and then, you'll be digging in the bag, back in your own bag, and you're like, ooh, I didn't even know I had this little pocket That's in there. That's right. Or oh, I didn't know I left that in that pocket. Right. Yes. And it will affect everything in the bag. But I will say it's shady that whether he was um, faithful to her or not... You know, it is a nasty thing to say that you're not the daddy of somebody's baby, especially if it's your wife. That's just nasty in and low this down. day and age, I wonder with DNA where it so came quick. From. That's what I'm trying to, what, like, it's like He's saying check. she loose? Yeah, he's going to say she loose. <laughs> is that what he's that what he Not Rudy. Not Rudy. <laughs> but you know what? Rudy was a little pushy. She told Kenny that his name was going to be Bud. She did. She did. She did. She did. The fast tail. See, they and don't the, use that word no more. fast, fast tail. Yeah, yeah. They need to bring that back. She did sneak out on the train at one time to go see uh, Special Ed. So you just never. Yes, girl, you crazy. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. Did y'all know President Obama has a brother? A yes. half brother? Yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. Well, he announced that he's voting for Trump. Wow. Did you what know that? They had to put, well, this the, is not the first time mm. his brother has come out against him since President Obama has been in the spotlight. He's trying to do everything he can. They didn't um, cast him for the remake of Roots. And I mean, it's, just, <laughs> it's been so a... So he got the attitude he, to the right. You know, he mm-hmm. said, you know, you all just don't want to... So he's, he's trying to do everything he can to get five okay. seconds, and it's just not happening for him. He, he stressed that his deep disappointment in his brother's administration... Um, as his reason for um, his allegiance to Trump. And it says that he's registered as a Democrat in Maryland and is planning to return in November to place his vote for Trump. So I'm going to ask you guys, how do you deal with betrayal, family betrayal? <laughs> wow. What do you, what do you and it, do? And it's got to be a thing where, I mean, when you look at this president, President mm-hmm. Obama, the eight years that he's been in office, there's been no scandal whatsoever. At all. Not any. It made me question, like, is he a real dude? <laughs> is he a cyborg? Yeah. But none. That's I mean, Michelle. we have not had right. a president ever in office that hasn't had some type of scandal directly related to him. Right. And now here comes, out of the blue, his brother that ha- Donald Trump happens to find. Because Donald Trump, I think, puts all his resources, like, I've got to find some dirt on somebody. Somewhere. He, he know where he can work with Hillary and and Bill, he know he got that in check, uh-huh. but he's like, okay, let me find something about because the president just can't be that untouchable. That's right. So he finds his brother, and his brother says he probably he probably interviewed him almost like an interview. Mm-hmm. What is it about your brother you don't like? What is it you think he shouldn't have done? If it was me, I'd do this and I'm going to do that. What do you think about the way your brother has treated you since he's been in the White House? I said all my life. <laughs> <laughs> He said, it is you. I mean, you know, the thing is, they didn't even grow up together. So mm-hmm. I, I don't even know if their situation can can be betrayal. I think Barack is showing he will handle this the way he's handled everything. But for me, for betrayal in my family, listen, my grandmother, used great-grandmother used to have this phrase. She said, once you tore your drawers with me, they cannot be mentioned. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's a, it's. It's, it's, it takes a special type of person mm-hmm. that will betray their family member. Yes, you know, I, I mean, you, you all, re- I mean, it's just, it's too much because here's the thing. At the end of the day, family's always the most forgiving, especially mm-hmm. in our community. Mm-hmm. We forgive everything. You know, we even forgave OJ, even though we all knew, you know, we, we, we forgive, <laughs> we forgive the multitude of things. But then it's like the betrayal, though, while I might forgive you, I can't trust you anymore. You can't tr- right. And it's like, so how can I have a family member where I can't trust you? We can no longer go places together in, in intimate settings because I can't get rid of you because mm-hmm. you're my family. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that the, the best way to deal with betrayal is to um, change your last name and move somewhere what? else and pretend like you don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at he said this on. They said he was speaking live from Kenya uh-huh. on British TV. Malik Obama said that Barack has the attitude like, I'm the president, I've made it, I'm the star here. Oh, so he got a problem. He jealous. Oh, yeah. That's he all is that jealous. is. That's all that is. That's just and that, sibling that's back rivalry. Childhood. Yeah. He's still over there in the jungles of Africa. Yeah, swinging. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all wrong. Yeah. Y'all yeah. Wrong. Did you hear about Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan mm. needs to take several seats. Well, okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Because someone needs to tell him that his black card already expired. There is nothing he can do to get it back. All of a sudden, now he cares. I he has it. matured. 
Can you say matured? No, I can't. With oh, the D. Oh, okay, so for D. those of you who don't know, you know, everybody had been speaking out against what's mm-hmm. going on in society. And I guess he hadn't spoken yet. And a lot yeah. of people were upset with him for not speaking. So he basically came to himself, like you said, yes. said that, you know, it, it runs deep with him because of, I guess, how his father was killed right. and blah, blah, blah. And then he made two donations, a million dollars each. He's worth how much? Yeah, but, exactly. Um, <laughs> To two organizations, two organizations who um, either are kind of new or no one really knew much about them. And once he did that, a lot of people have been trying to find out, you know, who are these organizations? That's right. So um, that's one thing. And then this other guy who wrote this article right here that I was reading, David Steele said that um, basically Michael Jordan spoke up, but he had a voice, but he never used it. That's right. Um, And now that he's used it, people are looking to this organization, making donations to this organization. And he's saying, basically, if he had spoken up a long time ago, um, that things in people's lives could have been changed because, you know, there's power in his voice. It is. I mean, you know, it's, it's the old, it's it's in the Bible. It says to whom much is given, much Much is is required. required. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's been much required of anyone who's in the spotlight. And Michael Jordan has been in the spotlight way too long and I think he has pimped his own influence. Mm-hmm. I think it's great what's happening from this now mm-hmm. but I feel like it's too little too late because the significance that Michael Jordan once had he does not have anymore. Okay. And so while people may follow behind him it's it's, it's like uh, who ca- I don't want to say who cares that's wrong mm-hmm. but what I, what I feel like is that it's not enough. I feel like he has lost his social responsibility a long time ago and now he wants to get a refund because he didn't bounce that check and mm-hmm. he needs to support something. And he very well could be genuine with it, but I'm not buying it. I'm, I mean, someone is getting the benefit out of it. But I just feel like, you know, this is the same thing. I've been watching that thing, you know, OJ Made in America. Uh-huh. When people allow money to have them transcend what their roots are, mm-hmm. transcend what's going on around you, and you only are affected by what affects you. Mm-hmm. You know, sorry if I can't cry a river or stand up and clap because you finally woke up, you know. But let me ask you this. Okay, because Nicki Minaj, she also got the heat when she didn't speak out against um, the Orlando massacre. And I personally don't believe that as a celebrity. You, why, do, why do you have right. Why are you bound and obligated to speak out? Right. So why is, I'm asking you, Rhonda, so why is, is Michael Jordan... Um, bad for finally why wasn't he fine speaking we don't know what he was saying you know behind the national spotlight saying something why 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 are you requiring him to have spoken a lot sooner well well that's a great question because see here's the thing i think that just because you're a celebrity no you don't have that responsibility but there are those of us who have an influential responsibility to to a certain group of people okay and michael jordan is one of those there are people who admire him not just because of his sport there are children black, white, whatever, girls and boys who have decided that they could be just because he is, okay. because of his story. Now, Nicki Minaj, she's a rapper, not mm-hmm. not demeaning who she is, but she, she there's nothing... Yes, to please b- don't. I won't. Yeah, mm-hmm. give, give me a moment, uh, I got, I'm just... Her, okay, okay. <laughs> her product <laughs> that she sells doesn't promote something that needs to be stood up on in this type of thing. No one's looking for, you know, Uncle Luke to stand up and say something. You know, (laughs) you know, it's it's like we're not going and calling. Me so busy. You know, Mm -hmm. um, now if they decide to, because you remember a few weeks ago, Snoop Dogg, he he stood up and he said a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And so... A whole lot. A whole lot. And so while those things are great, I think we look to people who who have been standing, whether they chose to or not, as a, a positive role model that has helped so many people 
to be something different. I think that they do have a social responsibility once they become in that spotlight. And I think even more so, we look at, we need somebody with power to say something. Like, right. I think those of us that are just average people, mm-hmm. we realize it's not really a lot I can do. I can go out here and march, or I can go out here and protest, or I can put stuff in social media, but I need LeBron to say something. Mm-hmm. I need Denzel Washington to say something. I need Angela Bat. I need Oprah. to hear stars. Yeah, yes. Oprah. To- yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I need Oprah. I need you're you know, injustice. That's injustice. <laughs> yeah. You all yeah. go to jail. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think we just thrive because the bottom end line is out of all those people that we're talking about, I think unfortunately we as a culture are still looking for that one leader, that yeah. one Malcolm X, True. that one Martin Luther King that we just don't have anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're looking for that person to stand up and say, this is what we're going to do. Everybody come on board and we all follow them for a million man march or two million. Or we, you know, get around the White House or do whatever we need to do to make something change effective like we did in the 60s. But you know, I think um, right. I think also, though, we you want to know that people that you support, that they have some type of social conscience, you know, like True. I'm um, I am a huge and, you know, probably a little bit on. um the lesbian side because of um, my woman crush for uh, Tracy Ellis Ross. <laughs> you know, um, oh, yeah, good thing that I'm married because I just might attack her. Oh, we man. couldn't be friends. I, I just know we couldn't. <laughs> you know, and um, but uh, when everything started going down and I remember following her on social media, on Instagram a few weeks ago and she was like in Italy or somewhere and she hadn't said anything yet. And I was like, come on, Tracy, come on, Tracy, uh-huh. say something. And then she finally did. She was like, I haven't said anything because and not that anyone asked her how she said anything. She just wasn't clued in because she was in mm-hmm. Italy. And then she said her piece and everything. And I needed to know that someone that I admire, even though I'm a woman that I'm, I'm already in life, you know, I'm living my own thing and I have children who look up to me, my own. And, but I needed to know that Tracy Ellis Ross, someone who I admire that she had a social conscience. And I think we want to see like you, you referenced mm-hmm. the sixties, but you know it wasn't just the Martin and, and the Malcolms. We, the we saw, you know, Harry Belafonte. Right. We Dick saw, Gregory. we saw Dick Gregory. Right. We we heard a lot from Dick Gregory. Yeah. You know, we <laughs> saw people saying right. that I'm willing to stand up. I'm willing to say this is not okay. And let's let's not forget that we saw white actors. That's right. And exactly. White people supporting the civil rights movement exactly. as well. And I think personally, in this day and age. We see them in the, and when you look at Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. you see white people sprinkled all in there, but they never get to say anything. Mm-hmm. Media goes right to the black people in reference to Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Well, why not ask some of the white people, why are you in this mm-hmm. march? And I think once, once white people hear other white people say, this is why I don't think this should be happening, and this is why this is wrong, and this is why how we've ignored it for decades or years and years, then it helps expand that just like we saw with the civil rights movement. The more white people, the more integrated that movement became, the more we were better able to understand. I think you just wanted to see how many times you could say white people. (laughs) (laughs) I said that instead of saying Caucasian. I wanted to say Caucasian. White people. So so I was listening to both of you speak, and and hearing you speak, I have a question, and you as well, but I want to to actually express my question for you to both of you. So we... 
all three of us have platforms. You know, we work in radio and the media. And you were saying because you were waiting for Tracy to say something because mm-hmm. you were a follower. You, you were That's using right. her. Do you use your platform because you have followers? Yes. Do you use, did you comment? Did you speak out against what was going on? I, I have. I have. I, I definitely have. At first, I kind of laid back um, because I wear so many different hats. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a minister. I'm a comedian. And, you know, and then just a media personality. Okay. And so I have to be careful, mm-hmm. you know, because I don't want to, I don't want to offend people. Not that I'm trying to be a people pleaser, mm-hmm. but, um, but then I didn't, then I, I couldn't sit on my words anymore because I felt the responsibility that someone may be the saying, responsibility. that's right. You mm-hmm. know, Rhonda, you need to say something. Mm-hmm. And so I have, you okay. know, so. What about you? Oh yeah. Without a doubt. And, and, and much like, much like Rhonda, I had to realize, okay, I am a men's ministry leader at a church because there was a couple of times I wanted to cuss. Uh-huh. So <laughs> I, had to, I had to think about how can I say this in such a way that it still respects the fact that I'm trying to live as a Christian. Okay. But on the other hand, also I'm still very pissed about what's going on in our society in those areas, especially of police brutality, because police brutality is not new. Only thing new is cameras. Right. You know, exactly. That's, you know, that's exactly. the only thing that's new. And for people to realize, especially because I have a, a very mixed radio audience, mm-hmm. and I want them to understand that, okay, it's not about black and white. Mm-hmm. It's about police brutality to a minority that's normally poor people that cannot stand up for their rights that they're being brutalized. Right. And this has been going on. Richard Pryor talked about it in his jokes. Dick Gregory talked about it. Jim Brown talked about it. You listen to uh, Marvin Gaye, what's mm-hmm. going on, talked about it in there. I mean, in songs, one one particular show I had about three weeks ago, that's all I played was songs from Curtis Mayfield, from Marvin Gaye, that were talking about all ball of confusion, temptations, that was talking about all those things we were dealing with, 60s and 70s, and all the songs were apropos to what we're going through today. Wow. You know, I, I wanted to just say something, kind of branch off what you were saying. You're talking about the songs. Um, this is a part that we don't always talk about because it's also a song that came out during that time by Curtis Mayfield, I'm Your Pusher Man. Right. And um, and I say that to say <laughs> See, that. See, had to find that one. Listen, <laughs> um, look it up on, on, on iTunes. The thing is that as much as we talk about police brutality and we talk about we're not getting our voices aren't aren't mm-hmm. heard, but sometimes the police are frustrated because where are the voices with the black on black violence? Right. Where are the voices when people are in your community and you know this is going on but you don't want to talk? And everybody ain't from the theory of snitches get stitches. You just don't want to open your mouth. And so sometimes there's a frustration with you don't want to police us, but then you don't want to help us when we're trying to to serve, you know. And 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 so I use that song because as much as aware as those artists were and artists even today, sometimes all we want to do is point the finger at other people who are doing us wrong, but we don't want to help. What's the issue in our own community that we are that we are perpetrating it, that we are promoting it? You know, we're personifying. I brought up that very issue. Same thing. How is it that we get upset when a white person, usually a police officer, kills a black person? And if we look, if we count it up, like I looked at the women on stage last night at the DNC, yes. mm-hmm. and it was 13 women on that stage, uh, 12 or 13 women talking about their sons that had been killed and daughters with Sandra Bland. And I'm looking at, okay, it was that many people killed this month in this, in this Hampton Roads alone. Mm-hmm. You know, so 
if we look at Chicago, we look at my hometown in East St. Louis, we look at all the blacks, young blacks, that are killed every day by our own people. And we know who they are. We could just as easily tell the police, like we know where all the crack houses are in our neighborhood. Mm -hmm. We know all the bootleg houses. We know where this stuff, but we keep this stuff to ourselves as if we're still, you know, we're just afraid to talk about it and afraid to clean up our own neighborhood. I put on Twitter one time, when will blacks start talking about the crime in their own neighborhoods and white people start talking about the racism in their own culture? You know, if we start looking at those two entities of within our own groups, it's amazing how many things may or may not be able to change. I agree. That's true. What do you think, Will? I don't think. <laughs> I, don't, I try to do that as little as possible as lately. Just, um, but I want to ask you another question, Ron, because you were speaking about how back in the day we basically had people that we were following. And I think a lot mm-hmm. of what's going on, especially in our community, is we don't really have that visible leadership anymore. That's right. Um, what do you think happened to those people? When I was in school, you know, whenever something happened, we would see big Al Sharpton. Right. Not, yeah. sk- not, not skinny, not skinny, skinny Al Sharpton. We'll see big yeah. one come up there. He's like going to speak on behalf of all the people. That's right. right. That's right. I, when he comes up now, I don't know who he's talking mm-hmm. about. Sometimes. Right. We don't even so know who where, he is. Where are all those people? I think they've been bought off. That's what I think. I really do. I think they've been bought off. From the time that Martin Luther King was assassinated, how when he had all those people around him, Ralph Abernathy, Jesse Jackson, uh, John Lewis, all Mm -hmm. the people he had around him that knew the plans that he was moving forward with, once Martin Luther King got assassinated, everybody just backed up like, okay, I'm cool. All right, that's it. Okay, he out. Well, I'm out too. And then all of a sudden you see Operation Push and all these other organizations, they don't do fundraisers no more. They're not asking Mm -hmm. people for no money. They're fine. And you read books that people have written about how certain people were bought off and their kids were taken care of Mm -hmm. and put in politics. I put over corporations. I put on corporation boards. Then you start to see, you're like, okay, you stand back and you're like, okay, maybe that is what's going on. Mm -hmm. Don't don't speak out. Just do this. And I think people, and honestly, and you put that with being bought off and being intimidated. Mm-hmm. And then I'm not going to take anything away from that. Some people are ready to die for a cause. Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, those people were ready to die for their causes. But the people of this after them, you don't find that kind of core. And that's a, I think that's something God has to put in your heart. Mm-hmm. You just don't grow up and say, you know what? I believe this. I'm ready to die for it. Then as soon as the gun gets pointed at you, okay, stop. I'm just playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. What yeah. else can we do with that's this? That's right. You know, I, I think um, – Personally, you know, when you say that they're that um, they've been bought off, but they could have been bought off. But the reality is they're dead. They're gone. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, no, well, I'm talking about the ones that weren't that aren't dead. Yeah. But yeah. I'm saying th- that a lot of them, they're they're gone. You know, mm-hmm. not the even if they were bought off, you know, and now now they can be a picture in a history book, you know, right. and we can talk about it. And so what has to happen now is instead of reinventing the wheel is to. We, we, we are in a society where everybody wants to be in the spotlight. Right. And so mm-hmm. I think that's why we can't have And they have one. the opportunity to be with social exactly. media. Right. With social right. media. Mm-hmm. So that's why we can't have one person, but we have to be willing 
to come together and have something that looks like the We Are The World um, recording, <laughs> something that looks like a group of people who are willing to shoulder mm-hmm. this all, not just one person because... On one accord. On one accord. Right. And, and not to mm-hmm. um, be a conspiracy theorist, but Martin Luther King, and nothing against Martin Luther King because I love what Martin Luther King is for our culture and for our history, but Martin Luther King was a front man. Right. He was and he fr- was pushed into and, it. And, he didn't want to do that. You know, and, and a lot of the stuff, like, you know, we you say this was Martin's way. Martin was charismatic and he was a good person to be the spokesperson. And so the movement has to be beyond a person. So if we can get people to come together and on that one accord from different aspects, like you said, right. black, white, right. no matter what their nationality is, mm-hmm. what their their political affiliation and just on the side of right, mm-hmm. I think that things can start moving forward a little bit better. And we have to inter and you know, you heard you don't hear that word much anymore, but we have to integrate the system. One of the things I heard the chief of police in Dallas say, if you want to make a change, come join me. Yeah. Right. And he was talking about more minorities getting into the Dallas police force. And it's the same thing with politics. It's the same thing with our city councils, with our government. If we're going to make a change, we have to be involved. Right, right. Well, you know, we have our next guest on the line, Dr. Reggie Padden. He wrote a book called um, Get Out of the Dumpster. It's a true story on overcoming limitations. Um, I can't wait to listen to him. I know he has a lot of information for us. Welcome to the show, Dr. Padden. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So, sir, tell us. What is your book about? I like the title. I definitely know I can use a lot of the information. What is your book about? Well, the, the, the interesting thing is that everybody can because everybody faces uh, dumpster moments. It's my own story of how I, you know, as a young man, made some terrible decisions, dropped out of school, uh, married young, uh, had, had kids, and um, I, I was in, in, in the poorhouse. Uh, the only job I could find is uh, was a, a janitor, which is, there's nothing wrong with it, but um, you know, I, it was the only thing I could find at the time. Mm-hmm. And little did I know that the company that I was working for at that time was going out of business, and they couldn't pay the waste management company. So I became the waste management company, and my boss told me, "Hey, listen, take one of the trucks, go around to every dumpster around the company, get in there." Uh, haul every every piece of garbage out of there, put it in the in the truck, and drive it to the landfill. Mm-hmm. And that was my that was my beginning. I I had to do that for the entire summer. Didn't 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 want to do that for the for my for my life, and decided to do something about it. Um, and so this is a it's a, it's a it's a story of how I was able to overcome that dumpster. Um, not only that, I I later found out that as you progress through life and as you uh, get out of uh, any particular dumpster. You're gonna always find find another dumpster to that you need to climb climb out of. Okay. So there are dumpsters all throughout life. You just have to know how to hurdle through them, basically. Absolutely, absolutely. Everybody faces them, whether you're the CEO of a company or you know just the average person in a company. Everybody faces them. Okay. Awesome. You know, um, the the greatest thing about um, having a voice of of encouraging people is that when you show your transparency of your story and you talk about, you know, I just love the title, you know, about getting out of the dumpster. And so what were some, you know, obviously you're a doctor uh, now, but, you know, you in your bio we see that you were a high school dropout. What, what, were, what are some of the things that you find um, from your own limitations that you're able to speak into other people's limitations? Well, I, I think, you know, what brings people to the point where they're in a dumpster is the lack of purpose. 
Okay. And mm. for, for for certain, I I had I didn't have a, a clear purpose for my life. Uh, and so that, you know, that made me wander around and, and make some mistakes and, and, and not focus as a young person, not focus on what I needed to do. And that is the true, that is the truth to a lot of people. You know, they go and meander through life, not really understanding what their purpose is. And, right. and if you're, if you're like me or if you're, if your listeners are like me, uh, I'm a very, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a person of faith. Mm-hmm. I believe that, that God has placed us here for a reason and we have a purpose. Our our job, our duty is to fulfill that purpose. And, and in my case, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to coach people, I wanted to teach. And for me, that entailed the long journey of, you know, uh, getting my GED and getting a, a bachelor's degree, completing mm-hmm. two master's two master's degrees wow. and finishing a doctorate. Not Not to say that everybody needs to do that, but that was because I knew what my purpose was. Mm-hmm. I, I knew that I, need, I needed I needed to do that. That was my own my own journey. One of the things you say, and I was reading another part of one of your quotes, where you say the, rela- the reality of life is that most people start, but very few finish. Mm-hmm. You say they don't execute, they give up, they lose heart. How do you explain that, and is it possible to avoid those dumpster moments? And there's no way to avoid them, and in fact, I'm not. You know, dumpster moments can be a great teaching a teaching moment for for people. You know, sometimes we can avoid them. Life will throw things your way, and and will place you there. The the question is, are you going to remain there? Mm-hmm. And again, when you have a clear purpose on your life, then you're going to do everything and anything that, that that it takes to fulfill your purpose, to fulfill your destiny. Um, and, and I tell people, you know, I said, you know, the first thing that you need to do is, is get that inside your head that you are meant for something. You're meant, you're meant for a purpose, a higher purpose, I would say. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then you just, all, all you do is you just be faithful to following through with whatever that purpose is. You know, for some people, it may be, you know, to go into, uh, into sports, some other people into politics, to other people to go into, you know, whatever the career is, radio. Um, Whatever your, your 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 purpose is, make sure that you find it and then execute that plan. And you're gonna be discouraged. You're gonna you're gonna have ups and downs. You're gonna you know things are not gonna go your way every single time. In fact, I I tell people you know embrace failure. Failure is great. Um, That's right. You know we've been we've been programmed since since very early early in our, in our in our in our lives that that failure is bad. And you you see every successful person. I don't care the industry. I don't care the 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 path of, of life, you see every successful person that that failed over and over and over and over again, uh, and, and 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 but they learned from those mistakes and they were able to reach a higher plane. That's and you know it's it's great that you you brought that up and with the dumpster moments, this book is 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 awesome. I mean it's great and Thank you. with. Uh, you're welcome. And with faith being the backdrop, the foundation of this, and we, we know that we all have, uh, we have a general purpose, but then there's that specific divine purpose that God gives us all with providence um, has dedicated to each and every one of our lives. But what part does fear and doubt, what does that really do to you? What would you say for that? Well, you can't, you can't avoid it. Mm-hmm. Fear and doubt are, you know, fear, it, we've all been programmed um, with fear in our DNA. So every mm-hmm. person will, will, will um, you know, will have fear. And, and you have to understand that that is normal. That's right. Uh, that is, that is part, part of the course. Uh, and, and you can allow fear to propel you. 
to your to your destiny or it can it can paralyze you. It's up to you what you do with that fear. For me, you know, I have found out that fear is at first, let me let me just say that fear kept me in the dumpster. Mm-hmm. Um and, and and doubt kept me in the dumpster. But once I decided to to take a, a step, you know, step of faith, uh, uh, take some action in my life, That's it's right. what I call what I call in my book um, the great decision. You have to make is a come to Jesus moment almost. You, know, mm-hmm. you, have to make, you have to make you have to make that decision and say enough is enough. I'm 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 getting out of here. Uh, and and once you once you take that that step, you're gonna notice that you're gonna. Why was I afraid? That's is right. This, is this all? Uh, you know, the, 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 the toughest moment is, is before you take action. After you take action, then then you have to face doubt, right? Am I, am I okay, I succeeded once, can I do it again? That's am right. I able to learn that new craft, that new skill? Am I able to have influence? Okay, I did it once, was I just lucky? Uh, and so that's where, that's where doubt and fear will constantly be with, um, with the individual, but, you know, um, Without without action, there's there's just no no way of um, no way of progressing. You have to take risks. You have to do it. it you know, it's awesome um, that you say that because this morning, actually, <laughs> I actually lived that exact thing you were talking. My daughter, my 13 year old daughter, just started wearing contacts, and you know, before she could leave the doctor's office, she had to show she could put the contacts in. So she got the contacts wow. in earlier in this week, but this morning. She, you know, was scared out of her mind that she could do it, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, once she got it in, like you said, now, after I got over my fear, I can do it. But now the doubt is, will I be able to do it again to put it in the next time? <laughs> That's um, exactly right. And, you know, and, and so it's it's just a real example. And then she, she kept saying, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I hate contacts. And I said, honey, yeah. you got to stop talking negative because you're going to yeah. keep yourself in that place and speak positive. And she started saying, I can do it. I can do it. And then she said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And she finally got that contact in. Well, and, and the, the, the other thing that you're going to find and what people need to realize is once you, you know, you overcome that first fear and then you start progressing and making the changes that you need to make and, and, and really, really uh, gain ground mm-hmm. um, with, with each, uh, you know, moment of doubt that you conquer you gain confidence that's right that's right with each, with each uh, uh hurdle of of doubt you gain you get that sense of strength i can do this that's right and um you know people you know especially in today's age of, of the internet and youtube you know people expect to you know uh they want to be overnight sensations mm-hmm. and and they see success, successful people as, as though they had you know they did it overnight and it's not true when you when you look into people's lives, they have the same fears, the same doubts that you and I face, but they had to endure and work work at their craft and, and, and do what they needed to do for a very long time before they gained the recognition from other people. Um, and so and so that's something that we need to we need to embrace. Okay. So, Doctor Patton, you also listed so. Dumpster moments can also occur when we allow the wrong people in our lives. You also stated that toxic relationships. Mm. Absolutely. Can bring this on. Can you explain or well, can you elaborate on that? Sure. I mean, I you know, I, I knew that the, the reason why I was in the initial dumpster was because of actions that I had, you know, taken. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my upbringing had a lot to do with it and the people that I surrounded myself with. And and the reality is that in order to to get out of that, whatever that dumpster moment is in your life, 
you're going to have to make changes. There's no way of reaching a new level without making changes. And sometimes those changes is you need to get at least momentarily. I'm not saying, you know, forget everybody and, and leave people. But I had to, I had to move. I had to leave family behind. Mm-hmm. I wow. had to, I had to do things, you know, for myself. I, 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 I remember, you know, packing my, my, you know, our little, our little belongings and taking my wife and, and kids and, and moving, you know, to, to, to another city in order to go to school. And I remember that, uh, you know, my parents loved me to death. I loved my parents to death, but mm-hmm. I was the first person in my family to go to college. And my dad would come visit, and he couldn't really comprehend why I was wasting my time going to college. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. and, and, so, and so had I surrounded myself with those types of, you know, thoughts, and, you know, because the people that we most love have the greatest influence in our lives. That's right. Um, had I kept, had I kept, you know, that influence in my life, I probably would have given up. And in fact, there was, there was a moment where, where, you know, I thought about giving up in, in order to, to, you know, go back with my, with my parents, uh, you know, at least in, in the, to the same city. Uh, and, um, but, you know, what I, and here's, and here's the beauty of it. Once you get yourself out of that dumpster, then you are able to, to help other people out of the dumpster if they so choose. Mm-hmm. So through your example, through your knowledge, through your experience, you can you can pull people out. Now my parents are incredibly proud of the fact that they have a a son who's a PhD That's right. who works who works at a multi billion dollar company who is wow. uh, a published author who is a, a college professor. Uh, you know today today they they embrace that fully. Um, my sister who's two years younger than me, um, I was able to inspire her, and she you know she married young also, and she dropped out of school as well. She just completed her her high school um, diploma, awesome. and um, and so she credits me. She credits the fact that I was able to inspire her to do that. And and so get yourself out of the dumpster first. Like when you're in an airplane, you know they tell you if, if we experience turbulence, you know put the mask on first. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and then help and help the people around you. Right. It's the same. It's the same concept. Put put that mask on first. Keep your focus. Uh, have faith. And, and keep loving people, and then you know eventually you'll be able to pull pull other people out of uh, out of that, those situations as well. And Dr. Patton, it sounds like that what has to happen for you as well as those that you help is that they have to program themselves, reprogram themselves, reprogram your mind. And so, Absolutely. talk us through the steps that it would take to reprogram your mind that you can take advantage of this. Not you know um, being spiritual like you said to get up to stop sitting by the by the 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 the, uh, the lake of Bethesda and waiting for someone to push you in when you finally yeah. get the moment to stand up and take your mat and go. What helps you to reprogram your mind? You know, I, I tell people that it's almost like you know when when you have uh, you know if you're a landlord you have um, people that you may rent your house to, and um, and then you find out that they're terrible ter- terrible tenants. Yes. Well, well, it's the same thing um, that you have to do in your life. You have to kick those those negative thoughts and actions and habits out. And but then you can you have to replace them with with new things, right? With new mm-hmm. thoughts, with new with new actions. The first and foremost, this is the way I did it. I'm not saying that um, you know, this is gospel. This is the only way to do it. This is the way I this is the way I did it. Um, I was I, the first. First and foremost, I took responsibility for my actions. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know, you can blame people all you want, 
you know, I was there, but it made absolutely no difference in my life. And so what I needed to do was, wait a minute, no, I, I'm responsible. Uh, I made a influence in my life that, that put, put me in this situation. Mm-hmm. But, but now from here on out, it, it's up to me. I got to do something about it. Um, again, uh, you know, I, I tell people failure, failure is good. Uh, you're going to make some mistakes. And so the first time you try something and it doesn't work, guess what? Uh, you join the club. Um, I remember when I, when, I, um, when I first went to college, my first paper, my first paper was a, was a zero. It was terrible. And I could, have, I could have taken that paper and said, okay, this is, uh, I'm not, this is not for me. Mm-hmm. And, or I could, I could learn from that experience. And so I decided to, again, work even harder. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think when you have, and again, I'm a person of faith, when you, when you expect good things to happen to you and you, and you think positively, guess what? Good things will happen to you. That's I mean, right. I, I, I've seen it over and over again. And again, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you're not going to face difficulties, but it means that, that good will follow you, that, that those good things, when, especially when you align yourself with your purpose and you know wholeheartedly that you're doing what you're supposed to do, those things will, will follow you. Now, let me, um, yes, go ahead. Let me ask you this. Now, you talk about... Uh, <laughs> it's interesting because I'm, I'm reading one of your quotes where you say the dumpster will definitely mess with your head. And depending on how long you remain there, you probably have stank thinking. I, just, <laughs> That's right. I exactly. like that phrase. Yeah. Oh, you, you, you hear that again. I'll reference you the first two times, then after that it's going to be mine. But, <laughs> what, <laughs> what, tell me what you mean by it. You, when, you, when you say that, you say you can do it, you're stuck here. You know, when people have that mindset, how do you, get them, how do you tell them to get out of that stank thinking? Well, you know, the, the, beauty, the beauty of it is that today we have so many resources, resources at our disposal uh, that, that, frankly, I didn't have, I didn't have um, when I started my journey. You know, the, the programs like yours, um, you know, which I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's online or, or being podcasted or, you know, things on the Internet, the web pages, are, are filled these days with positive stories of triumph, of people who, who are... I mean, there's nothing new under the sun, um, and, and so that's that's both for good and bad. You may think that your your troubles and your dumpster is are unique, but they're not. That's right. Somebody else, somebody else was in the same the same dumpster, and if you if you look at that person's life, and you say, well, wait a minute, they did it, and this is what they did, and you start mimicking um, those steps, and you start, you know. Getting getting very comfortable, um, you know, making those mistakes and learning from your mistakes and growing, um, you will you will gain the the um, the comfort and the and the uh, the satisfaction that you're you're getting out of there. Um, that wasn't that wasn't necessarily the case, you know, when I when I started, I had to go and, and find good old fashioned books, um, you know, to 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 read and and and, and search for people. Or, or buy, you know, uh, CDs or buy tapes. You know, this is back in the day where, where tapes and CDs were, were in style. Um, and, and um, but I, you know, or even, even the Bible, you know, I learned so much from, from, from those, those biblical characters who were, were whose back was against the wall and they were able to overcome. And what mm-hmm. did they do to, to overcome? Listen, again, there's nothing new under the sun. That's if true. you learn from other people's, other people's lives and experiences you, you if they did it you can do it too it's just 
a matter of execution and not giving up. Exactly. Exactly. So, Dr. Patton, how can people get a copy of your book and how can they follow you? Uh, well, they can visit me on my website, um, Reggie Padin, R-E-G-G-I-E-P-A-D-I-N.com, or they can go to Amazon.com and search for my book there. Um, and I'd be, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a blessing. So far, it's been it's, it's, the, the message has resonated with so many people. Definitely. And basically, and, and, you know, that's why I put it out there. I wanted to put my experience out because I'm I'm just an ordinary person. And if I was able to get out of my get out of that dumpster and and, and overcome, you know, uh, many many difficulties in my life, other people can as well. That's right. That's right. Well, sir, I want to thank you so much for coming on and talking about your your book. Do you have any final words that you'd like to say to the, to the audience? Hey, what are you going to do about your dumpster situation? Figure that out and get out of it, and you're going to see how your life is going to change. Awesome. Thank you, sir, for coming on the show, and we hope you have a good evening. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Great. I think, I think he should have ended with stop that stank thinking. Thank, thank you. Was that the first time you didn't write for Sam? Yep. got one more time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. Got one more did his mind. Yeah. That dumpster. I, I'm going to get that for um for my daughter. Get out of the dumpster. <laughs> no, that's right. So what is mama talking about? Yeah, what is mama talking about? So let's get back into the hot topics because I want to get to the last part of the show where I can get into your brains like yes, last please, week. Please, yeah. please, so, please. you know, Prince Harry, who was the youngest son of the late Princess Diana, he yes. um, stated recently in the interview that he hadn't spoken about his mother's death mm-hmm. um, for, for the first 28 years of his life. He was quoted wow. saying that whether you're a member of the royal family, whether you're a soldier, whether you're a sports star, it doesn't really matter. Everyone can suffer. He also said that it was important for those grieving to talk about their feelings. He said it's okay right. to suffer, but as long as you talk about it, it's not weakness. Weakness is having a problem and not That's recognizing tough. it and not solving that problem. Amen. So I want to ask you, how do you get through those rough periods of grief and sadness in, in, in your lives? Because we all face them. What's your True. process, each of you, for getting through those moments? Well, Will, as I Uh-oh. cry and I... <laughs> I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Oh, you know, and... Um, Play daddy there for you. <laughs> please, you know. Um, uh, so it's funny because... Um, my my act my real father he uh passed in november of 2013 mm-hmm. and we were extremely close you know he my sister and myself and it was um it was hard it was difficult you know um especially losing a parent is it's it's difficult for a lot of people and you can't compare it and but the thing that i have used to help me is looking at my my nephew who was my sister's son and he looks like a replica of my father Mm -hmm. looking at him and sometimes he'll sit like him and you know things like that and and what happens is it it makes me smile because i think that daddy is still here Mm -hmm. and then is the times when you know you just remember the memories about them and i began to write them down because sometimes you get to a place where you forget some things because it's little Mm -hmm. stuff you know, and, you know, I'm never serious for a long period of time. So when my father first died, uh-huh. I was driving. I was pregnant with my daughter, actually, my youngest daughter. And we passed this pig truck. Uh-huh. And, um, and oh, did it smell so bad. Uh-huh. And instantly I was reminded of my father's breath. Uh-huh. And, oh, um, and so. <laughs> See right there. 
And um, and so I posted on um, Facebook, uh-huh. you know, how the memory, and I offended like so many people. I'm like, it's my daddy. But you it was know? comforting to it you. It was comforting to me right. because it made me remember the time when we were at, um, at Thanksgiving at somebody's house mm-hmm. and we were, my sister and I were laughing. We were like, dang, daddy smelled like he just ate a whole bucket of chitlins, but we ain't had no chitlins. Uh-huh. And he came around the corner talking about, excuse me. And we were like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and start using H and yeah, W words. You know, huh? and, and exactly. Uh-huh. Like, oh, daddy, please stop. You know, uh-huh. and. I mean, and so what? What helps? What helps me? Obviously, is laughter, is memories, and and you know, just just embracing who the people were. I think, like like he said in his quote, you you've got to talk about it, mm-hmm. whether it's professionally or talk about it, and and because you don't want to get to a place where I don't want to say this to offend anyone. You don't want to be in the same place you were when the moment you lost them. You don't want to mm-hmm. be in that mm-hmm. place for, wow. the, rest for the rest of your of, life. Right, right. Wow. You know, right. So. That's that's a good point. Mine was avoidance because within a five year window, I lost seven people: oh, my wow. mother, father, brother, my mother in law at the oh. time, my grandmother in law, and my best friend. So that was in a in a five year window. So it was it seemed like death was just yeah. you know all over the place. And I was one of those. I didn't like funerals for sure. Mm-hmm. Now here I am sitting on the front row of all these different people and people want to come by and know how you feel. I'm here for you. I didn't want to hear that. Exactly. And I, and I honestly felt that way and I'm sure I conveyed it mm-hmm. right, wrong, and different. I know the people mean well, but I didn't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I just wanted to go back home with my brothers and grieve, yeah. so to speak. And I remember, it's funny how, like you say, if you don't let go of those things early, mm-hmm. they'll come back to you. Years later, I had moved here. My father died Super Bowl Sunday of 95. I was living here in about 2000 or 2001. I was coming from the gym, stopped at a stoplight, and the song came on uh, "Wing Beneath My," uh, "The Wind Beneath My Wings" mm. by Gerald Levert and Eddie and Levert. Levert. I broke. I just literally broke down at the stoplight. You'd have thought somebody had just called me and That's told me right. my daddy died. But just listening to that song, I don't know what it was about the song that moment, and it just I just fell apart like right then. But uh, it's it's a hard thing, and especially to, to talk about, because just like, especially I can only imagine being a public figure yeah. Yeah. like Prince Harry, and everybody in the world knows your mom. So now you got people calling in from everywhere, all mm-hmm. over the world, like, how are you doing? How was your mom? Tell us about what your mom meant to you. Exactly. You know, news. Oh, that would have. Talk about it. Yeah. Talk about it. See, yeah. That, yeah, that kind of stuff. That would make you cuss right there. That, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it will. And, you know, um, speaking of him, uh, was it yesterday or today marks a year that Bobby Christina. Yeah. That right. She's I saw gone, that. You right. know, and, you know, just to think, like you said, about living in the, in the spotlight. Right. And per my opinion, I just feel like that young lady never had a chance, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. from the time she was born. And, and now I'm not trying to put anything on Bobby Brown, but to know that. Because of the lifestyle you you live mm-hmm. and the way that your life came out, that your daughter that her death is basically a result of it. I'm not saying that he's a blame, mm-hmm. right, but yeah. you know, and so how the effect the effects of it, right. you know, and that's and that's losing a child. We're talking about parents or friends, but mm-hmm. you know, it it I can I don't want to imagine, but you know what he's going through right that, now. Yeah, I was just going to say. Then the flip side of that. You've lost your wife, regardless of what issues y'all had. That's right. This was still a woman you love, mm-hmm. and your daughter. Yeah, you know, and you and you're like the same way. Yeah, the same, same way. way. That's that's that's, scary. What, that's what's really yeah. scary. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's you know. Scary. So 
how do you even do I think he was on somebody's show not too long ago being interviewed, and he talked about all these. The first time he really opened up about mm-hmm. all That's these right. things. And he said he just didn't want people to blame him and think that everything was his fault. He right. said that was the thing that kind of pushed him into a cocoon, so to mm-hmm, speak. Mm-hmm. He said he knew he had some issues, and he said he knew Whitney had some issues, but they were their problem. Right. But when you're in the spotlight, everybody knows your problem. That's right. So you couldn't get everybody away from Everybody feels entitled to right. Everybody That's, That's it. right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It's like what we were talking about earlier, Will, about the responsibility right. of being a role model. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as much as I do believe that there is a social responsibility for influence and things like that and to speak up, no one's personal life is anyone's business, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and unfortunately, when people are in the spotlight, everybody has something to say about it. And people are finally willing to admit now, after seeing the Being Bobby Brown show, yeah. that Whitney <laughs> probably was more of the catalyst than Bobby right. yeah, was. Yeah, people are more willing to. That to was the image that, that, that she projected, exactly. And I'm the world's biggest Whitney fan. Yeah, so, you know, yeah, me, me too. You know, yeah. um, some of the receipts. Me. Uh-huh. But, um, to me, but I, I, I'll be the second one. <laughs> You know, I, I I love me some Woody Hutton, but um, <laughs> but that's the thing it's 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 that people's personal life is 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 hard enough to deal with it on your mm-hmm. own in a in a in our setting, but uh-huh. they have to deal with it on a bigger realm. You know, it, world it's, platform. That's it right. for everybody. To see. Everybody right. I, for myself dealing with grief and stuff. I need to deal with it by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been very vocal about the relationship that I got up for like sixteen years, um, and that I had probably about six people who were trying to pull me out mm-hmm. before I was ready to deal with it myself. And I had people coming in, you know, they want to take you out, want to make you right. make you laugh. They want right. to do this. That's right. Do this. That's right. And my way of dealing with it was getting in a place where I was quiet, where I could talk to God, and he can tell me the best way to deal with That's it. So good. the problem with what they were doing was I would have to put my grief on pause mm-hmm. to go well, out with them, with them, to, to put on a happy face like what they were doing was working. And then when I got back home, I could deal with it myself. Right. That's right. So it just pretty much prolonged the situation. That's so right. for me, it works best for me to just, you know, give me my time to mm-hmm. deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but going, who saw Michelle Obama's speech? Oh, my goodness. I have goodness. not seen yeah. it yet. How oh, Bill, you are it. missing out it on the best oratorical, if I'm saying really? that right. Oh, my no, goodness. No, but okay. <laughs> Spell or Toastmasters was up in here. I know you counting my arms, but uh, it was it was phenomenal. You know mm-hmm. the the most quoted thing that she said was, "When they go low, we, we go, go high." high. Yeah, you know, and everyone loved that. Uh-huh. And then there are people who are picking on her, saying that you know we're living in a house that was built by slaves. Uh-huh. Like, well, those slaves are well taken care of. That's an oxymoron. Yeah, there's no such thing as being well taken care of <laughs> as a slave. But the the powerful thing is whether it was written or not, mm-hmm. to me, the speech was her just basically talking about being a woman, mm-hmm. a woman who is willing to raise her children, a mother, mm-hmm. not even just a woman, but being a mother. And she spoke to the mother part of Hillary mm-hmm. and the fight part of mm-hmm. Hillary. And she talked about Hillary, but also it was like her last hoorah to say, let me tell y'all yeah. something, America. <laughs> I'm, I'm so book. tired of y'all got something to say. Mm-hmm. And she said man. so eloquently that, you know, we got this. Mm-hmm. See, we're not worrying about what y'all think about. We're worrying about what they think about. Yeah. These two girls right here. Right. That we're and raising. they've done a wonderful job. That's it. Yeah. And These she eight said, years. That's right. Uh-huh. And she said, so that's, that's what we look at success at. You know, yeah. we're not looking at success to see what this was and that. Is it a better world for my children to live in? And do my children respect who I am? And then I think she also um, 
put a little bit of that unsaid um, stuff about Hillary. She says she doesn't quit anything, anything. Right. I think That's that was her way said. of saying she didn't even quit on Bill when he right. had that blue dress uh, going yeah. on. That's she right. she kept saying, you know, like the unsaid stuff, and because we know there are some things about mm-hmm. Hillary, but Hillary at the bottom, at the end of the day, the bottom line is a politician. Mm-hmm. And with with being a politician, there are some things. Sometimes there's scandals. Sometimes there's things you disagree with. But she's a politician, and I mean that in a positive way. She's someone who understands the system. that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, opposed to Donald Trump, who we're not even going to get into Donald Trump, because even to talk about him gives him energy. But <laughs> I, I appreciated the way Michelle Obama, our first lady, mm-hmm, right. the way her elegance her and she tr- her class. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a but woman But this has been girls. the whole eight years. The both entire of them. eight years. Both of them. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? Yeah. And the unfortunate thing about that, it's not talked about. They are okay. an extremely classy couple. Mm-hmm. They are very family. You look at all yes. the pictures of him mm-hmm. and his daughters and the four of them together. Like, my God, I don't think i ever seen another president, you know, that other than yeah. John F. Kennedy back when they used to show him and his family. And so you look at them and you look at the things that they do, but you never hear about that part of him as if, okay, we ain't going to talk about that. We're going to just talk about this is what he's done in the country, this is what he hasn't done. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about him being a man and a family man and a husband, one of the best that I've ever seen in the White House. First lady, class beyond all means. I mean, the things that she do out in the community, her realty, Mm -hmm. that's the part. The fact that she can go out and just be, I'm just one of the girls. But I'm also... The first lady. That's right. I mean, and I think that that's, here's the thing. What we're going to have to do, we're going to have to, like you said, people don't talk about it. We're going to start talking about it. Right. That's right. And we're we're going to have to start looking more like what they they showed us, you know, Mm -hmm. and- and the more we do that, I think then that might be the answer to get back to the old way of having pride in our community, pride in who we right. are. You know, this woman, she showed women, we're talking about relationships and friends and this. This woman showed women how you're supposed to be with your man, mm, how right. you're supposed to support your man. You right. know, it's coming out now that she made over $100,000 more than him before he, he was the president. Right. And this I, she. Yeah. Yes. And not, and I don't mean when they first started dating. I mean before he became, well, like even right. when he was a senator. This woman was making, you know, like this huge amount of money. But when she went home, in the words of our um, open marriage friend Monique, she knew that it didn't matter who made that paper, baby, that that man was going to be the king of that castle. And she treated him as such. And she also pushed him to say that if this is what you want, then this is what we're going to go for. We're going to do it. She was and more like uh, Frankie Beverly. We all won. We all won. Yeah. And she <laughs> she pushed him. She she pushes him and yeah. and he supports her. And it's, it's an amazing example of what love looks like. Not just black love, but love. Love. And and she talked about that when they were, like you said, about that money. When he came to the law firm, knew she was already there, established. Mm-hmm. And, he and you know, he's trying to holler at her. And he, she was like, boy, please. <laughs> That's right. You know, and, it, and it's just, again, that subtle reality mm-hmm. of a real relationship, dating and mm-hmm. trying to court and all of that thing, and how all of that came into fruition. As time went on, they started dating, and then they developed. You know, they got married and started a family and all the things that they were doing mm-hmm. and how that played right on up into the presidency and the daughters. I mean, to watch Malia and her sister grow up in the White House. That's it. But you know what? It's, it's like 
who you are doesn't change because of your circumstance, your position, or mm-hmm. your money. All it does is expose the more of what it is. Right. If you are a genuine, um, humble person and you do stuff for other people, you were like that before you had the power and the position, right. but now you're able to do it on a bigger scale. So I think the reason why he's been able to finesse and she's been able to finesse, she speaks the way she does, is because this is how they were before the presidency. Mm-hmm. And they are the most intelligent couple that have ever been in the White House. Two Harvard graduates. That's it. That's it. That we have never seen in the White House before. Now, obviously, there's been other educated families, but not too hard. <laughs> that, that's right. Well, you know, I wanted to, I, I brought the 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 article for because she had said, like you said, when they go low, we go high. That mm-hmm. was she right. said that was their motto. That's right. Um, even though throughout the whole pres- presidency, um, I forgot what senator said they were going to try to make him a one-term president. They were right. going to mm-hmm. block everything Mitch that McConnell. he did. Even with that. He he maintained his right. dignity. That's they right. maintained their integrity. Um, so they adopted when when they go low, we go high. What have you personally, if you had to adopt a motto for your life or that you try to live by or a personal philosophy, what would it be? Hmm. Um, Ron, you go ahead and uh, I knew you were yeah. do that. I knew you did. I said, let me find some good quotes from yeah. my life. Quotes from my life. No, <laughs> I always say uh, it's not about what you are doing in life, but what you've had to come through to mm. be able to do what you're doing in life. Mm-hmm. And I put that on my Twitter page. Cause I, I just think people, so many, so many of us now I'm on a journey now that God had just led me on. And somebody always going to ask, well, how did you, you know, how did you do all this? How did you do all that? And most people will talk about where they were at the bottom and now that they're at the top of this, but most people want to know that transition. Mm-hmm. And most people, you know, you don't never hear about the transition. And I just think, when people talk about what they've come through and what they've overcome, that it makes such a better story. Right. And I will do that. My, you know, I'll lay my heart out, especially for men, because we don't talk. We hold it in. We, mm-hmm. you know, you talk to your girlfriend, you talk to your sister, you talk to your mama, your coworker, girl, y'all talk. Me and we don't do that. Right. And I have opened up a dialogue that I've been doing over the last, but nine years now that have gotten me in to start thinking about that and doing that so much better and I just want to keep doing that as long as possible to the point where men can just talk about things that we're not dying at 50 and 60, especially exactly. black men. We're living to be 80 and 90 years mm-hmm. old like our grandmothers and big mom and all of them because mm-hmm. big daddy ain't there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yep. I think I would have to quote a song. You're going to um, sing it or you're going to quote it? I'm going to quote it. Okay. <laughs> and, it's, sing it. and it simply says that mm-hmm. um, you're mm-hmm. mad because I'm hot and you're not... <laughs> You ain't because you're not. Um, No. (laughs) That sums up my life. I'm hot. No. um, uh, There is a quote. um, (laughs) And I've been saying this honestly. It 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 sums up my life. Since I was probably about 15 years old, I I heard Tamara Maori say this on the 700 Club. And she simply said, man's rejection is God's protection. Wow. And that would be the motto for my entire life. And and what it simply says is that life is going to give us whatever, whether it's the consequences from the choices that we make, whether it's the opportunities that the door will be open or an opportunity that's not for us, it's for someone else, that what God has called unto your life, it's for you. And, you know, no one can take it away from you. People can reject who you are. People may not appreciate who you are, but God has given you what he has given you. 
and he's protecting you from that, which is not going to give you growth anyway. And so, um, I mean, I even think about that, like children who have, um, deadbeat parents, if, if you will, or if you don't want to call them deadbeat, we'll just say, um, non-existent, um, parents who are challenged with seeing their kids instead of looking at it as a negative about being rejected, realize that God kept that person out of your life during that time, because obviously they wouldn't have added the value that was needed for your life. Mm-hmm. And, and so for me, that's what my life, my life has looked like because through a whole lot of stuff that has happened, whether that I've caused or just because life happened that way, you know, here I am, I have a twin sister who is the greed. She has, I'm on her way to finish her master's, has two bachelor's degrees, and I, and I have a high school diploma. But for me, having a high school diploma doesn't mean that I don't have value. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the work world could reject me saying, you don't have this, you don't have that. But I've been able to be a, um, a on-air personality for a major um, a network. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been able to now work on an up-and-coming television show that's about to take off Mm -hmm. been able to work with an amazing radio host you know let's face it you know i mean (laughs) but there's been so many things that have been given to me whether rewarded to me because of my own diligence or just i've been blessed with because god said that's what the favor Favor. he had on my life and so instead of allowing myself to feel rejected because all I have is a high school diploma in some college. You know, I mm-hmm. went to Howard University. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I went up I, there too last summer. You went up there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, went up there last summer. I visited. Yeah. You yeah. know, listen, if Puffy can be an alum, so can I. No you know, yeah. we, we did the same semesters. I did three yeah. semesters as well. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and but I'm, I'm anyway. I, I say that to say because I'm completely um long winded. You know, God has really. <laughs> Bless my life. Oh, I mean, yeah. I'm a minister. I mean, I'm a comedian. I basically do everything that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so I allow myself to submit to God's will for mm-hmm. my life and let him take the, um, Jesus take the will. Wait, I think he's telling wheel. me something to tell you. Give me a minute. <laughs> Uh, can you take out the hash marks? Okay. But you know what? For me, if I had to say that there are probably two I would use, I think number one would be a quote that I've used ever since I was in high school. And it's to, to thine own self be true, true right. um, from Shakespeare, Whitney Houston. Also, I told you I was her biggest. Yes, fan. You were. That was her biggest. Her, that was her, her life. Yes, quote it was. Too. Um, with all the journeys I've been on, I've always set goals. I'm a big goal setter. I set goals. I check them off. Um, I think the hardest, the most, the longest, the most uncomfortable journey I've taken is the one to becoming myself. That's right. Um, accepting who I am, who God created me to be, my right. my flaws and everything, being authentic and being transparent. Mm-hmm. I'm still, I, I would say I'm probably 25% there mm-hmm. to becoming who I am. Um, so I would say probably to thine, to thine own self be true is my number one quote. And then I'm learning, especially this past week, you know, once you elevate, you really begin to see who your real friends are. Right. And we had a person who came on the show a couple of weeks ago who was talking about soulmates. Mm-hmm. And I always thought when people said some, such and such is your soulmate, it was romantic. Yeah. Right? But they were saying that sometimes people are plat- platonic soulmates. That's right. And True. that people come into your life to help you get to a certain point, and then they'll fall off because they, they, they've done their purpose in your right. life. That's they've right. gotten you to so, that level. Exactly. 
Um, so I'm adopting now what Maya Angelou said. When someone shows you who they are, come on, believe, believe them it. the first time. And I saw a lot of people the first time. When God had already given me glimpses of them. Mm-hmm. But I've taken the blinders off myself because I didn't want to see it. That's right. Um, and I'm just starting to turn people off right now. That's mm-hmm. right. So, that's right. That's, yeah. that's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. No, you're making people think. That's what you're exactly. doing. That's, that's right. That's what you're doing. Yeah. Because yeah. people don't realize that. I mean, when you once you don't care, I mean, and then that's the thing. I like about, I look at it in my marriage. I look at it in my life, in my professional life. Once you really don't care what people think about exactly. you other than the, your mate, then every, it becomes an easy life. Mm-hmm. Say what, you know, it's like that. What's the record? Uh, the song, uh, say it's my fault. Mm-hmm. Blame, Blame it on, it on me. me. Blame it on me. Yeah, yeah, whatever you need to say, just say it. I can, I'm fine. Yeah. You know, and, it, and then you get to that point in your life where, Okay, I'm good. And mm-hmm. then you realize, okay, everything you're saying about me, it's been said. Yeah. Somebody already said you. you ain't said yeah. nothing new to nobody. And it doesn't heard. affect me, really. Right. It doesn't. Right. I mean, it's about knowing what, like, every, everything that all three of us have said, the bottom line, if there was going to be a, a stream of mm-hmm. foundation, is that understanding that being authentic, mm-hmm. like you said, and, and, and true to yourself, once you are comfortable with the authenticity that you bring to your life, Nothing mm-hmm. else matters. It doesn't mean things don't come and shake you and and right. and, and, and and you bend, but we don't break, you right. know. And and that's what the bottom line is. And and there's blessing in being revealed to see who people are and what people are for you and moving on from it. Right. You know? Right. Oh my God, I hate to see that the show is coming to an end, but I didn't give oh. you an opportunity to Ron, I want you to talk about your show. How can people tune in? Yes. What are you doing? What can we look forward to? How can we support you with your ventures? Gotcha. My show comes on tomorrow night, okay. 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. on TuneIn.com at F, uh, Fire 91.8. What's the name of your show? And the Ronald Young Show. Ronald I made it real easy. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yes, you did. <laughs> okay. Not that I'm vain or anything, but I love myself. Okay. But uh, I, I, yeah. I, I did that because I wanted to be no mistake that the show that I'm talking about, that I'm doing, is about things I believe in. Excellent. Subjects I want to talk about things that I feel are important to be shifted and talked about in from my perspective. And in doing that, majority of what I talk about, obviously the issues of the day. Right. But then there's things that's encouraging men to step up, be a be a role model, do what you have to do to help people and things like that. Now for my for my church, I've been doing men's mentoring for mm-hmm. the last eight years. And I'm uh the I'm the lead facilitator. I'm the men's ministry leader at the Mount in Chesapeake oh, and okay. I've been at and on Monday nights we've been doing men's mentoring for the last eight years wow. every Monday anywhere from 40 to 100 guys every Monday talking about men issues talking about things from you name it from sexual abuse mm-hmm. to getting your career together to doing whatever affects men that we don't normally talk about mm-hmm. and I've loved it that's where I want to stick with obviously I'm doing the shit uh, TV show, The Rules. Right, right. I'm the man uh-huh. on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and we're loving it. I mean, that's a show that I, I know is going to just blow up. Cause it, it is. Because it you look at other shows that talk about stars and their lives, but we're talking about regular people. Mm-hmm. And we're helping real people deal with that's real right. issues. And that's the thing I know is going to blow up because I've seen it in so many other areas. So that's my world. And. That's what I'm doing. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Hopefully, oh, you'll I, come back as well. Oh, without a and doubt. Miss Rhonda Arrington Frank, yes. you are regular to the show now. That's you know it. That, that's right? it. That's yeah. it. So, I know you have some things coming up August 6th. You have yes. your event. 
tell us some more about what you're doing and remind us about the show. Okay. Well, um, so obviously, like Ron, we're on a show together, The Rules TV show. It comes on Sky 4 Monday mornings at 5 a.m. Right. right when the crust is in its great crystallized place. <laughs> right, here. Right, here. right there. Yeah, you right know. There. And um, we just wrapped season one. We are beginning to tape season two in just a, um, a few months. We're going to start that in production. We are looking for any and everybody who are ready to sponsor. You want to be a part of the show. You want to get a commercial. Call us. Hook us up. We got you. And so that's that's rolling. That's doing a good thing right now. On the 6th, which is just um, a few weeks away or a couple of weeks away, on August 6th at the Kimball Theater in Williamsburg, we will be doing a King, um, Kingdom Comedy Show, and it will feature myself and my sister. We have an act called Double Vision. Uh, a twin comedy act and other um, comedians where we're basically doing comedy that you love just without vulgarity. And the tickets are on sale. You can get them from Ticketmaster. You can hit me up at Rhonda Arrington on any of my social media, Rhonda Round Town on Twitter or on uh, Instagram for information about tickets. And again, that is August the 6th. And if anyone is in town on Sunday, on a couple of days, at Second Baptist Church East End in Newport News off of Chestnut Avenue, please come for the 10 o'clock service because I'm preaching. (laughs) (laughs) So you said that your event is coming up in a couple of weeks. Yes. Okay, I just want to let you know that that's next week. Oh, well, yeah. So listen, that's next Saturday. So just in case you're looking for a couple of weeks, you're going to be late. Yeah, so listen. That was that was my first joke. <laughs> so it's going to be on next Saturday. Yes. And that's what they say in the church community, on. Everything is on. On, yeah. on Yes, on. On, on, on your... On your That's right. Yeah. So on next Saturday, uh-huh, the Lord shall move. <laughs> and thus and therefore, thus. you shall be there at the Kimball Theater. And um, we will be there having a ball. And that's basically it. And you guys can follow me on Facebook, Rhonda Arrington, um, again, on Twitter and Instagram at Rhonda Round Town. That's round like rotund. And um, <laughs> I, I have a fan page, too, but I don't really know how to work it. So don't even look for it. And um, that's it, you know. And I just love saying let's face it um, with Will Stream because let's, he's awesome. I like that, let's too. I, like, I might have changed my name yeah. on my show. Let's face it. Let's look at it. Yes. Ronald, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's look at it. Oh, I, I forgot to say, I forgot. You can reach me on Twitter at Saran2000 on Twitter, Saran2000 on Facebook, Saran2000 on LinkedIn, any other any other social media you see, Saran2000, it's me. I right. locked that We're in. We're 2000. What's that? That's, the, that's when I got on the internet. Oh. That was the only thing I could think of at the time. <laughs> okay. You, you like those old people when they <laughs> looking at their they smartphones. <laughs> <laughs> I just said, okay, this works for me. or use this. This is the one that they gave you. Uh-huh. They put the two thousand on oh, there. Bless his heart. Well, thank you both, and I, I invite you back anytime you oh, want we, to. Just get in contact with World's Greatest Public. Nikki Curry, yes, yes, the brand. Oh my fine. god, Nikki's on the full video <laughs> equipment. Oh yeah, <laughs> high tech. She produced. <laughs> she produced. This she is the quietest you'll find, Nikki. Nikki yes. is uh, Steve Jobs. I've enjoyed so it immensely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I want to thank you, and for our listeners, make sure you tune in next week. We have another great show for you. Um, not sure who's going to be our co-host. I think it's open. So um, hit me up on Facebook on Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends, our fan page, if you're interested in sitting with me um, at the table for the chat. Okay. Until next week, have a blessed week. All right. Peace.
We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends. We ask that you visit www.letsfaceitradio.com for up-to-date information on future shows, special guests, advertising opportunities, and exciting interactive ways that you can be a part of the show. Join us next week, same time, same place, for real people, real topics, real talk. Let's face it. Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.